Hey friends, this is Aaron Durant with Geek of the City Radio. It's a slightly different uh, opening this week because we wanted to give some special attention. Uh, our friend uh, Sean Wynn, who you have heard on this show a few times and has been a friend of mine for going on, I think, a decade now. Sheesh. Um, his family ran into some uh, nature problems <laughs> a few nights ago. There was a pretty big storm in the Chicago, Illinois region, and a tree fell and basically damaged his uh, his mom's only means of transportation to and from work and pretty much everything. So he has set up a, a little GoFundMe to kind of help them cover expenses because right now money is extra tight and uh, she needs her vehicle to be uh, to be up and running. And I guess storm damage, it, anyway, whatever. It's a weird fluke because insurance is awful. But uh, yeah, if, if you if you have the ability to help out, pop on over to GoFundMe.com and then just search Chicago Storm Damage. You'll you'll see it pop right up there and you'll see Sean's name there. Uh, if you're not able to donate, that's fine. Money's tight. But if you can even just kind of share the link and uh, help, help spread the love and help uh, Sean's mom kind of get stuff going again. But uh, yeah, that would be that would be really great. Uh, so uh, that's uh, geeks helping out geeks and whatnot and all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, with that, let's go ahead and now kick off the all new issue of Geek in the City Radio. It's been a long, long week. Why don't you spend some time with geeks? So many issues today into which we must delve. Why, hello, and welcome to issue 561. Uh, Geek in the City Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Vianarita. And I'm your other host, Cable Hashitani. And this week, we are welcoming guest Kristen Munn to the studio. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Hello. <laughs> so I think Cable first, uh, Cable discovered you. What was the story on that, Cable? So Kristen was looking for a specific game, and he emailed us <laughs> uh, at Guardian Games uh, looking for this game and I was working curbside that day and we didn't have the game. We corresponded a little bit, but it was the the fact that in her email signature, it said violence designer. And I went, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what that is. Uh, so it's like, okay, I'm, I'm just, I want to know more. We should have you guess the, uh, as a guest on the show, so that is pretty awesome because I think online I promoted your appearance as a fight coordinator, but violence designer is so much cooler. Sounding. Oh yeah, way yeah. cooler. Man, it's just like it's like how like doom scrolling sounds way more metal than it really is. Instead of just being incredibly <laughs> sad and pathetic. Yes. Um, so yeah, Kristen, welcome to the show. Um, what is a violence designer? Well, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's a fight choreographer. But when I was starting out, it was, there was like a debate going on about whether to bill yourself as a fight choreographer. Um, Because there's a tendency for uh, when people think about a fight choreographer, they come in, they put the fight in, 
and then they leave. Um, but one of my teachers and mentors was like, when you build a fight, you should be doing so much more than that. Mm-hmm. And so he always built himself, himself as a, um, a fight director. So hmm. there's like different titles and they kind of all do the same thing, but, but for each, um, choreographer or artist or however you want to identify, it's sort of, it kind of gives a little bit more of like your background. So I like violence designer because I design fights. I talk to the costumer. I talk like I want to be there for production meetings to talk about the set. Um, I will change my entire fight if the actor uh, doesn't quite execute the fight the way that I want them to, or like they have skills that I didn't know about. So like, I'm like, Oh, you have Capoeira skills. Let's take that, you know? So I'll craft a fight and I design a fight depending on who I'm working with. So I like to be billed as a designer because I do, I, I like to really get involved uh, because one of my biggest pet peeves, especially in live theater, is when a fight looks like a fight's about to happen, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Where yeah. it's just like, oh, okay, we're in this scene and we're doing it. And then it's like, now we're going to fight. And it's like, ah, come on. So I like my fights to just meld seamlessly with, into the world. So I like to, that's how, that's how I came up with them and like to be built as a violence designer. Very, very cool. Yeah. I like that it, it sounds cool and also explains the philosophy behind it just with those two words. Yeah, yeah. Because I like to be involved, you know? I like to really get to know, like, who the actors are and why they're fighting. And, you know, um, it's so important to read the entire script. Like, you don't often, like, not a lot of people know what it takes to, like, put a play on, you know? But I like to know every single part of it. So, like I said, my fight just, like, it just falls in. You know, you don't even expect it to happen, hopefully. Hopefully. Wow, that's really cool. Um, that I mean, that kind of makes me think, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, it seems like it's only been in the last 15 years or so that fight scenes have been realized as another element of telling the story, not just as, oh, we need to have the fight now. Right. Like you, you watch like an eighties or early nineties action movie or whatever, and the fights, at least American action films or whatever, fight scenes are just fights. I go, here's, okay, here goes Arnold. He's just going to shoot a guy in the (laughs) face. And, but like more modern storytelling, and even I've seen it in stage now, the, the fights are integral to the narrative structure. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite, like modern, uh, television fights is the daredevil hallway fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So good. Like the fatigue that he's going through as he's fighting. Like, Oh yeah. I, I feel like a lot of my fight friends were like, have you seen that fight? I was like, yeah. Everyone <laughs> was talking about that. <laughs> yeah. Scene. Yeah. That that's totally, I, I agree. Like, like it's become more part of the story. And then, I feel like with um, the popularity of Lord of the Rings, suddenly uh, 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 research became really integral, you know, to the look of a fight and like um, even how like how it's executed, you know, that like the research was there. 
um, to, to really like get that feel of like battle and like tiredness and humanity, like within a fight, right? Because I feel like what you're talking about is like this larger than life person who is taking on everybody. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of taken our superheroes and like our, our battle scenes and put a little bit of humanity in it, mm-hmm. which makes it a little bit more identifiable. Right. It definitely adds to like the realism aspect of it too, versus like, like Aaron was saying earlier, like, Oh no, now it's time for the fight. No, you want it to be integral and giving it that sort of realistic expectation of like, you know, the longer this goes, the kind of messier it's going to get. Cause everyone's getting tired. Everyone's starting to hurt. Um, yeah. I think, I think those, those things work really well together. Oh, that yeah. way from the, uh, one of the final fight scenes in Atomic Blonde, where she's just going down the stairs. Uh, Yeah. And she's just exhausted the entire time and she doesn't look good and no one she's fighting looks good. They're just there. It's a mess, but it felt so very real. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it should be. Right. It shouldn't be glorified. It should be Mm -hmm. like dirty and horrible and (laughs) take effort and work. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like before we continue about how you design fights, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you about the arsenal that's behind you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And a few times you have moved. It's not just like fencing and a gun. There's like battle axes and yep. you have all manner of death dealing devices back there. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh... So dark than I am, I'm actually most interested in like how that thing was built to hold it all. Because it looks like cardboard. It is cardboard. It is cardboard. Uh, I did make it. Um, I, I, I made it truly out of necessity. Um, I used to keep all of my swords in cardboard boxes in like an attic space in my, my old apartment. And my new apartment doesn't have that... Um, mm that space. And so, uh, as a practical joke, my partner, um, hoarded a ton of cardboard. And while I was going to be gone for a work trip was going to create a maze in our one bedroom apartment. So that when I came home, that's what I come (laughs) home to. Uh, now we had a series of unfortunate events and we had to move out of our apartment quicker than we were expecting. So, so this pile of cardboard was like stacking up in the attic and I was like, what is this pile of cardboard? It's freaking me out. And he was like, don't worry about it. And then when we had to move, I was like, okay, what is the pile of cardboard? What the hell was that? And he was like, well, I was going to make a maze while you're on your work trip. And I was like, that's amazing. I was like, I love that. Uh, so, but he did it. He didn't get to do it. And then we had a pile of cardboard and we moved into the new apartment and I was going to recycle everything. But then I was like, wait a second, where am I going to put all my weapons? I don't have a storage for it. And I've been looking at different like options, you know, um, which sounds really weird, but uh, I been was exploring different ways that my mentors and like uh, different universities and schools, like how they stored their weapons and they just have so much more space, and I didn't. So essentially, it's just layer upon layer of cardboard, all glued together. So it's 
is a beast and it's 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 like unbreakable it's so strong <laughs> Um, but essentially it's exactly what I was storing my swords in, except it's more organized. Uh, and it took maybe about two and a half months. Uh, <laughs> and I just kept on going and it's great. It's exactly what I need. The, uh, crazy thing is, is that it's, uh, bigger than the door. So when we move, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> I know. I started it in the living room, and then I finished it in the office, and now it will live here forever. It'll become a selling feature of the apartment now. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, and this is the weapon storage? The, the, the what? <laughs> I have no. ideas. I'm like already, like, mentally breaking down how you can get it out, like, in the most, like effective way so that it's still workable but we're not, i don't think we're gonna get into that right now because i'll be because i'll be here all day talking about the logistics of this one piece of furniture I know, uh, the one thing i the one thing i will say though is don't cut it in half and then like nail it back together later because someone did that to my box spring and um i'm still not over it oh okay thank who you who did that uh someone what? who we someone who we don't speak to anymore for unrelated reasons but um Oh shit! Yeah, they they helped me move and they cut my box spring in half because they were having too hard of a time getting it up or down the stairs of my apartment. Uh, Yeah, I remember that now, and they swore they could fix it. Yeah, it looks like garbage, and I've never replaced it, so I just hate it every time I see it. So don't do that. Okay. But if you want to talk about how I think you could do that later, we can talk about that later. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. She's awesome. good at those kind of logistics. That is true. Um, and, and available for hire, people. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to start throwing that out there anytime. <laughs> so, Kristen, is there a particular theater in town that you work with regularly? Or do you kind of work with all of them or a little bit of both? Yeah. Uh, I kind of work all over the place. Um yeah, I kind of work all over the place. Um, I worked with a defunct theater and a profile. Um, I've done a couple of shows at Portland Center Stage. Um, yeah, a third rail repertory. I can't, I'm blanking now. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I used to, uh, I used to do about like 20 gigs a year. Wow. Uh, generally, like give or take. And that included uh, different theaters, uh, universities, and high schools as well. Hmm. So sometimes they were workshops uh, and then like even conservatories and stuff. Um, So sometimes they were workshops. Sometimes they were shows that I was doing fights for. And then sometimes it was a little bit of both. Um, You know, uh, last year, I think, no, two years ago, we did – I did a She Kills Monsters at Lincoln High School. And so that, do you know, do you know this play? I think I, I do. I'm trying to remember right now yeah. the, the particulars. It's so good. It's, uh, it's about essentially two sisters. One sister passes and it takes place, uh, I think like back in the nineties. So one sister passes and that the sister that passed has a module, a D and D module that her older sister wants to play. And when she plays the module, she plays with her sister. So like, you know, 
magic and mystical reality. She jumps into the game and plays with her sister and her sister's friends. And the hope is, is that she gets to know her sister a little bit more. Um, so it is a rad play with primarily female roles with so much fighting in it and, um, spots and selections of like nineties music to like go with the fight. So it's really fun. That sounds amazing. Um, sounds great. It's really great. It's been produced quite a bit uh, within the past couple of years. And I am, I'm ecstatic. Anytime I can work with, um, young women and then like young women that get to fight is just always so good for me. I love it so much. Um, so in those situations where I'm doing like fight choreography and, um, I offer up a workshop so that everybody gets to fight, you know, cause that's kind of like one of the fun things about doing a play is to do stage combat. So I will offer like a workshop and we'll also do like fight choreography for this show. And that's pretty common, but yeah, that was pre COVID and then everything went. <laughs> that did, that <laughs> yes, does that to everybody. Yes. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. I'm curious. Um, I'm assuming that you already had the fight background before you took it with you into theater work, but how did you sort of, how did that phase of your career begin? Like transitioning into theater? Totally. Uh, I, um, I started doing theater in like my senior year, my junior to senior year of high school. Um, and in my senior year, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I think it was my senior year. I decided to, I was in a play and they were like, who wants to fight? And I was like, pick me. And they were like, okay. And so the fight choreographer, uh, you know, towards the end of like the rehearsal process was like, you're pretty good at this. How old are you? And I was like, well, I'm 18. I'm about to leave for college. And he was like, you should take this class at University of Hawaii, which is where I'm born and raised. Um, and I did not expect, uh, like, uh, fight, any kind of, like, fight training or any kind of stage combat to continue throughout my life. Uh, I took it because it was theater and I knew I was going to major in it. And uh, I wanted to just transfer those credits over. I didn't ever think I was going to use it again. I was just like, this was fun. This was great. It was something to do in the summer. Um, but... When I went, I, I went to college at Southern Oregon University. Uh, I ended up meeting my first fight mentor in sophomore year because he uh, was a student of my first fight teacher. So, like, all of that connected. Uh, and every single time he would go out to choreograph, he would call me. Maybe like, Kristen, I'm going to this high school to choreograph Peter Pan. Do you want to come? And I would be walking on my way to class and I'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Ditch class and I would go and, and choreograph with him. Because <laughs> um, I was like, why not, you know? Um, and he really took me under his wing. And there was just like this full trust that happened. Uh, and under his like guidance, I like then became like certified in intermediate stage combat. And then went uh, and then pushed again and did my uh, advanced stage combat. And then by the time I was certified as a teacher, I kind of did this all within 
the four years of my undergrad. So every sort of like spring break or winter break, um, I would take some time and take some money and I would go and get certified. So by the time I graduated, I was a uh, certified teacher of stage combat. Uh, also around that time, I was the, uh, I requested to be the fight intern at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And luckily I, it, it just happened to be around the time that the current uh, resident fight director, Jonathan Taco, uh, it was his first year being the resident fight director. And when I wrote in, I was just like, I just want to watch and I'll take notes. And I, I like, I'll just, I just want to observe. And he was like, uh, no, you're going to help me. You know, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you have to, you have to help. And I was like, okay. Uh, so again, it was like this really like instant trust and like, like such respect. And like, you know, it was, he was just like, he was just the greatest. He never let me slack off, but he also like, you know, didn't like anytime that I would, I would give him a note, he would be like, okay, no, say it out loud. You know, he really empowered me to say what was on my mind. And also to like, you know, in a way he like taught me how to like take command of a rehearsal room and, you know, be able to trust people and have, have them trust me. Um, that all happened uh, it, within my senior year. And by the time I, w- I graduated, my first job out of college was the um, assistant fight choreographer at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Wow. So it kind of <clears throat> all accidentally happened. Like it all rolled like one into the other. And it sort of took me um, saying, okay, like, why not? You know, let's, let's see where this goes. Let's, Let's keep pushing, especially after I got like trained in advanced stage combat, like the training for it is so much that you're like, you owe it to yourself to like do something <laughs> with, the, with the training you get because it is, it is a lot. It's, it's just a, a lot of fit, like physicality and just. That's that's actually a really great little journey you've taken. And I wouldn't call it accidental at all. I I think that that was just like a really great mix of, uh, I don't know, being aligned with some really great mentors, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. but then also like your openness to just keep trying these different things. Like you had an interest in something and you just kept going with it. That's really great. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Kind of well, the same thing happened in Portland too. Sorry, what were you gonna say? I just, I'm just kind of randomly curious. What, what years were you at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival? Sure. Uh, let me see. Uh, uh, 09. It was the 0809 season, 09010 season. Okay, I'm just wondering if this is so weird that you might have taught my cousin a fight or something. Oh yeah. Like, he's been a resident there for almost 20 years. Who cool. does uh, Armando Duran? Yes! Yes! Yeah. Yes! Yep, that's my cousin. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. Armando. Oh, he's the best. He's he's, he's amazing. He's, I mean, yes. I'm biased, but yeah, he's amazing. He's the one who got me into theater when I was in high school. Oh I my saw god! Him, I saw him play Hamlet when I was in high school. He um the the second show I was intern on was Don Quixote, and he was Don and he, he was Don Quixote, yeah, and he looked. Oh my god, I'm so bummed I missed that show. Oh. And he was, he was brilliant in it. I, yeah, was, I'm sure. He was so great. 
Sorry, so I, I had to nerd out. I had to ask because I was really curious. I mean, <laughs> yes, that's not yes. the biggest community. So <laughs> that's an amazing yeah. connection, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's oh, he's just the sweetest. Uh, actually, that show was super fun for me because I did a double internship. I it was a new script, so the other hat that I wear in the theater world is I'm also a stage manager. Um, so when I was at OSF that year, um, they had me be the stage management intern and the fight intern. So I would record wow. the fights and then I would also make the script changes. <laughs> um, uh, I've been a stage manager. That's a lot of work on its own. Yeah. But I was the intern, mm-hmm. you know, so I got to, I got to like, I got to like, uh, like assist in like the hard stuff. And my favorite job was, um, we had to, uh, move the donkey which was a tricycle, this doppel. And so we had to take him from the rehearsal room to the stage. And, oh, man, it always got so much attention when we were outside. We were like, yes, doppel. It was like it was famous. It was so weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so cool. Yeah. All right. That's kind of, I was curious. I had to know. That's pretty cool. Well, next time I talk to him, I'll, I'll tell him Tell him he said yeah. hi. <laughs> you, if you talk to Armando, you have to call me Mun Mun. Because Mun Mun? Okay. Everyone at OSF calls me Mun Mun. All right. I'll remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really sad. There was two, there was like so many Kristens and Christines and Chrissies and stuff. And then um, the resident fight director goes by his last name. So everyone just called me by my last name. And then my really good friend who was an actor at the time, who I also went to college with, <laughs> he nicked me, named me Mun Mun. And then, so when he started calling me that, everybody at OSF called me that. <laughs> so that's really how they know me. <laughs> that's definitely a name that will stick with you, also. So, yeah, I like it. <laughs> that's it's cool. very, no- yeah, it's very nostalgic for me. <laughs> nice. Uh, Bean, did you have a question before I had jumped in? I felt there was something. No, no, I thought. Uh... No, no Kristen was saying something, and I jumped yes. in. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, I, I would say it like my time in Portland sort of felt very natural, like how my fight stuff got started here as well. I ended up leaving OSF because I was like, there's like, I don't know, there was something awesome and fabulous and magical about the, being the assistant fight choreographer when you're like, what, 22 years old. It was like, this is, I was like, it's too good to be true. So I sort of like kicked my, myself out of the nest in a way and like, uh, did a year of grad school and then moved to Portland and primarily because my, my brother and my sister were here. But, uh, I did a show, uh, when I moved here, I did a show in 2012 and then I ended up winning an award for it. And they didn't even know I could win an award for a fight. <laughs> um, and after that, I just started like getting a lot more work as a, like a fight choreographer and, you know, started really thinking about how I wanted to identify and moved into like labeling myself as a violence designer. Um, and then the armory back here is, um, I did, a, I had, I applied for a grant in 2015 from the Portland Civic Theater Guild. And, uh, I, I essentially was, it, it was to help me advance my career. And I, I just, I wrote that I needed an armory and they were like, Oh, okay. There's money for an armory. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. 
because uh, one of the tough things about being um at least a young fight 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 choreographer a university or a theater is really just like kind of on my own and it is really is like your own business you know Mm -hmm. um so one of the 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 walls I kept hitting was um every time I would go into choreograph they'd be like okay so we also need to like rent weapons like do you know where to get weapons and so it was kind of hard you know to also find the weapons rent the weapons and then it added to their their budget um as well uh, so what I really needed, I just needed an armory for myself. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, this, I just really need to get my own swords. And so in 2015, I applied for the grant and I got it and I built up the armory. And then the other really cool thing is, is that, um, I love this theater community so much. They've taken such good care of like me and, um, I've gotten so many pieces just from people who are like, Hey, I don't use this. Do you want it? <laughs> <laughs> like I have a katana that uh Catlin Gable High School was like, We do not need this. Please take this. And I was like, Oh, okay, I'll take that. You know, um, yeah, it just it just grew and grew and What was Catlin Gable doing with a katana? I Probably mean, every... dressing at some point. Or, yeah, every school know. should have at least one katana. <laughs> How else yeah. are you going to have showdowns? I guess you need two then, but technically, yes. Yeah. I mean, even I have my, you know, handy machete. Well, our people must always have at least one machete. That's like, <laughs> like that's. The, I mean, no, it's, not, it's not like an outside <laughs> machete. It's my inside machete. Right. Yeah. It's there like you you're go. you're there baptized, you and then they're like, "Here's your machete." There you go. Body of Christ. That's right. (laughs) So do you, I'm looking at your your armory. Do you have a favorite uh, weapon? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't know. I'll I'll pull out the new one. What was pretty great there is when you looked behind yourself, there was almost this longing look of like, they are all my children. (laughs) (laughs) You read me very well. That's pretty true. Same way Cable looks at his minifigs. That You're even sounded just right. That's... Yep. This one's a new one. So it's a double-handed broadsword. For me, it's like three, right? <laughs> um, and it's made by, uh, I consider them the best in the business. This is made by Rogue Steel. And it's an aluminum blade. So it's so, it's light. It's light. Uh, when I was yeah, when I when I was training, um, the swords were so heavy. I could not train with a double-handed broadsword. I had to train with a single, and even then, I was like, my arms just rip them off me. It's so heavy, and like so now, like now, <laughs> the technology is like these aluminum uh, swords that are just. So they're so light and then, and like they sing when they like, you know, uh, hit clang with each other. It's just so beautiful. But that's, <laughs> that's awesome. the new one. Is there actually, yeah. that, that kind of reminded me like a, a, we used to do a, a pirate performance group and we had some fight training. Um, not as much as we'd wanted, obviously. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we always had to keep in mind also is that a lot of these prop stores that we had, 
I mean, they weren't quote combat swords, but prop swords were still expensive. So we were very mindful of like, be careful where you hit because you don't want to take out chunks of metal. Is that something else you have to work in and teach the actors of like, look, you have to make it look real, but also please don't break them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the training is like where your targets are and then different parts of the sword. I also like, um, uh, particularly the people who do like in-depth training with me, I teach them how to clean it, how to maintain it, um, you know, how to take care of it. Uh, I always try to train my fight captain, uh, cause, cause no matter what, like they're made of metal, like, they're made of metal. They're going to hit each other. They're going to burr, you know, which is like just tiny little like nodules on the, the blade. And so you got to take them down because if you don't, they turn into real weapons, you know. Uh, so, yeah, a part of that, too, is like um, not just targeting, but how you send your energy as well. Right. Because we're in the business of stage combat. So, number one, you got to be able to do this fight what, I don't know, eight times a week, you know, um, eight times a week at like max. And then sometimes you do it twice a day. So you have to be able to send your energy without exerting too much. Um, so think about it as in like, instead of stopping your energy going into somebody, if I just point past them, I still have like the energy and the strength of like making it look like I'm hitting somebody except I'm actually my, my blade is stopping. Right. But I am not stopping it myself, which would put strain on my shoulder and my arm. Uh, and would make me really fatigued. Right. Mm. So part of the training is also not just where are you hitting, but how are you hitting? And then how do we sell the fight too? So it's like, it takes, it's all about your stance, about how you're standing how you're extending, you know, and then also on the other side, right? How do you make your partner look good, right? Again, your stance, how do you defend, right? Um, one of my favorite questions always before I start a fight is, is this person a good fighter, right? Because mm. I like teaching people how to fight and then teaching them how to look terrible at it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that is harder. I think it's a much harder and it's so interesting. It's much more interesting too, <clears throat> you know, to look out of control while you are actually a hundred percent in control. Right. That actually makes yeah. sense. Cause yeah, the idea of like you train someone to fight, but their character is, you know, whatever they're a, a, a butler in this one scene, they're literally just fighting for their life and they've never picked up a weapon ever. Right. So you know? it's right. like asking a good actor to pretend to be a bad actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Or like, right, or, to, it, or or um, playing drunk. Right, say playing that, drunk is the worst. Yeah, <laughs> means that you're always trying not to be drunk. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a question from one of our listeners. Um, hmm. Curious. Um, in your personal opinion, what would you consider to be? Um, let's just let's call it your like your favorite. Like, what do you consider to be like the best? movie or TV fight that you've ever seen and which one would you call the worst? Oh, man. Okay. The best is the classic. Is the best. Is Princess Bride. Every fight coordinator I know says that. That's right. Yeah. Because it it will go down in history. It is, it is so good. It is so, it's, it's, it, 
it combines all of like the awesome parts of like like stage combat and fight direction and choreography. It's story and it's it's detailed fighting, you know? Like my favorite part about um teaching and training is when my students come back to me and they're like, I saw this fight. And I was like, that's a duble. I was like, they were doing like parry repose. And I was like, yeah. Because <laughs> all of the training that we do is rooted in historical movement and, and fencing, right? It's just we're really obvious about it. We, we're terrible fencers. We're terrible fighters, right? Because we will show you. We're going to show you that we're going to throw this punch before we throw the punch, right? This, we're bad. We're bad fighters, but we're great storytellers. And that fight is an excellent story. You you, you see it once, you're never going to forget it, yeah, you know? I've, I've never heard a fight coordinator or a sword designer not put that one at, like, at number one. Like, they all do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it will go down in history. <clears throat> and, the, and the training that they dedicated to it. I will say that's another thing that um, is crucial to excellent fight choreography. It's connection between the two actors, even if they're mortal enemies. They need to care about and, like, love each other a lot, you know, to make it look like they hate each other a lot. Um, And time, you know. If you give me enough time, I can teach anybody to fight, you know. I'll make you look good, but I need the time. Yeah. Yeah. I want to take classes so bad. (laughs) I was going to say. I'm looking Uh, at the rapiers back there and I'm like, oh, I want to learn how to do that some more. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. The worst fight. That's that's always harder, right? Yeah. I would say that, I would say that it's not the worst because of the execution. Um, I would say that the the filming style, I think it's the first of the new Batman, the new Christian Bale Batman. I think it was the first one where they did like a, a, a point of view shot of the fight so that the hits came um, at the camera. And it, um, it kind of made you feel like you were in the fight. And I thought the idea was, like, interesting. I thought it was interesting. But as a technical theater nerd, I was like, I want to see you throw that punch. I want to see it. Like, pull back. I want to see how how you're doing this and how you're putting the pieces together. It felt a little like a smoke screen. I was like, look at all those things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that the concept was interesting, but I wasn't really a fan of it. You know, I wasn't really a fan. I like seeing what's happening. That's another great thing about the Princess Bride one, right? Is that you saw footwork, you saw sword work, acrobatics. Yeah. Yeah. Switching Herbal left to right. Yep. Yeah. I was thinking that's, so that's part good. of the reason why at least the first two John Wick movies I appreciated because that camera for some of those fight scenes like locks in one position and it lets it play out. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. You have to watch yeah. It not... I... Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I. I love the. Um. I love the long shots. Um. Oh God! Like this one is so corny and so dumb. But like you know that the three hundred shot 
where it's just one long shot of him through the battlefield and he's like grabbing the dagger and it just oh, keeps yeah. going. It's a sexy I shot. Love it. <clears throat> I love it. <laughs> that one is definitely just like, okay, that was really good, you guys. That was, that was nice. You just gotta appreciate. That was a lot of. That's definitely a movie that I like to watch in like five minute increments. I'm like, I just want to watch this one fight. I'm going to watch just this one fight. Now. That's, <laughs> that's how I'll watch 300 now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In 300 five minute increments. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there like a, is there a play or, um, even something that maybe hasn't been adapted yet, like maybe a comic or a novel that when you've read it in your mind, you can, you're choreographing the fight or there's a play you've always wanted to be like, I want to design the fights for this play. Okay. I'll tell you a little secret. Uh, In college is when the, all the hype for the, um, the, the Nickelodeon, the last airbender started like blowing up because you know there was going to be a live action movie and it was going to be a live action movie super exciting (laughs) i looked up to see if i could audition for toff because i love that series so much i appreciate like every single part of it i love like the different nations in it and then the live action movie came out and i was like never mind (laughs) i dodged a bullet there oh so I would say that that uh, a friend of mine was like, wouldn't it be fun to choreograph sword fights to different to eat for each nation? And I was like, yeah, hmm. that would be really fun. <laughs> um, just inspired by each nation. So that is a project I've been thinking about recently. Um, let's see. Let's see. Um, uh, one of my, uh, I would say my second favorite film fight that I have not done on stage, but I know there's a stage adaptation is, um, Count of Monte Cristo. Mm. That's another, and, and, and in particular, I, I enjoy, I enjoy Count of Monte Cristo because of like the story, of course, I love um, like just characters that you can't you just get sucked into um, and the style is is the rapier style I I tend to lean more towards and like have a I have a lot of fun with that weapon yeah that's cool yeah uh, do you is that kind of what your favorite fighting styles to play with is is the like rapier dueling that combat? Yeah, yeah. And then if I can get away with it, if it works, I love rapier and dagger because it's two weapons at once. And so, as a choreographer, it's it's quite challenging in an exciting way because while one weapon is doing one thing, the other weapon is prepping for another thing. So when you choreograph, you have to keep both hands moving. Right. They're very circular and often. Okay. So, so the history of the sword is, is like broadsword was when like medieval times. So heavy armor, lots of weight. You're trying to break through that armor. So that sword is heavy. Right. 
then the invention of gunpowder happens and bullets happen and you got to move, right? So then these big heavy weapons and these heavy armors, not no good anymore. And dueling turns into a sport, right? So then you go to the Renaissance rapier. Then the rapier and dagger happens. And that's when all technique starts happening. Like how, how do you kill a man quickly? Do you cut him? Do you thrust him? You know, what kind of forms are we using? They started getting really analytical, right? And they started developing styles. And so that's why I really like that weapon is because all of a sudden the world opened up and it turned into a dance almost, you know? And I love, I love the fluidity of rapier and dagger. And I also, I love the, when I was training in it, I loved the challenge because an attack sometimes wasn't an attack. It was a fake out so that my dagger could come and get you. Right. So it was really neat to think that way. You had to think faster. Um, it, like you had to think faster and like, uh, but not hit harder. Right. I had to be yeah. smarter than you and I have to be stronger. <clears throat> That's really cool. I'm actually looking at Denise and seeing how excited she's getting thinking about this fighting. <laughs> what? what? You kind of have the smile. Every time she talks about different moves, you're like, I want to do that. I do. Actually. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoy the concept of fight choreography. And uh, as you know, uh, I, I don't really necessarily enjoy a lot of physical activity. There has to be sort of a... <laughs> Yeah. I don't want to make like, it fun. I don't really like exercising for the sake of exercising, but like if I'm like doing a thing, you know, like if I were learning choreography, which I happen to really enjoy, fight choreography, dance choreography, I'm always really into. So yes, I, all of these things, all of these words are appealing to me right so now. So basically if you can make your cardio violent, you're all in. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with hell you. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Um, so I've got a, a I don't know. Super nerdy question that uh, I have debated with friends ever since I started playing like D and D in <laughs> high school. Uh, so now I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, like, okay, who wins, the fully armored uh, European knight or a samurai? <laughs> we won't get any other details. There's always like, what if they have? I'm like, no, just your traditional armor, broadsword, samurai armor, katana. All right. Who's, who's coming out on top and why? I think, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, I think for, for the reasons that I like said before, I think it's the samurai, you know, cause you don't, you don't have the weight, right. Of uh, a weapon. And like, here's the thing. I've held a claymore that, that is so heavy. <laughs> it is like, like you swing that you're not coming back, you know, you go this way, you go keep going, you know? <laughs> uh, and so I just like, I, I really think that it's, it's in the samurai, right? Cause like they're all about like agility and then and it's just lighter. Cause you, even if I'm thinking about like shogun armor, that's, mm-hmm. that armor is still lighter. It's lighter mm-hmm. than that heavy, heavy stuff. And like the other thing about it is, is that the katana is made for precision, right? It's a thinner, lighter blade, and that katana can get in between armor. Right. Right. All you need is just one big, like, upward swing, and then you're right there, you know. So 
That's my opinion. All right, cool. I'm going to tell 15-year-old me that he was right. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that's the obvious answer. Again, um, I, I think it, it, the reason it's not is there are people who just automatically think, well, more power means, of course, that to oh. win. Right. Like if I, you're I, just doing the person who powers through things, it's like, well, they're going to win. It's like, no, not, not against precision. <laughs> but just like Kristen said, like armor has like some very vital weak points in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kendo is designed to get at the weakest points. Mm-hmm. Like you're mm-hmm. trained to hit head, wrists, and um, uh, the, there's a body point. So it's like that. that's what you're striking. It's just those three points over and over and over again. Is it the groin? No, it's not. <laughs> no, we tend to put a lot of armor around that beam. <laughs> yes. No, but, but yeah, they actually like get in the right angle. <laughs> you know? Wow. Well, that's, that's a really me. short a, summary. Then there's, a, there's this actual documented like confrontation between. I think it would have been. I think it would have been Richard the Lionheart. He's the one who faced off against Saladin during the Crusades. Mm-hmm. And there's this. It's written and like it's not like like they can they can find the records where like they're basically comparing like who's got the better equipment, and like the the Europeans like they show out the broadsword and they like swing it down and they break like all these sticks like right in half. And this historical this record of it is like Saladin basically says, "Well, you've just showed me how strong you are, not your blade." And he takes out a scimitar and like slides paper. It goes, he's like, this is a sharper blade. I don't need to be strong to take your arm off. Was kind of the attitude behind it. So, so it's kind of neat to hear that stuff. Um, so is there stuff that you've got working on right now? I know we're all kind of locked indoors right now, but is there anything you can be working on right now or you could tell folks about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just I do um I do a little bit of training. Uh so so one of the things that happened is um one of my students who is has been apprenticing with me. He was supposed to choreograph his first show this summer. And so we you know, I mean, we were behind on training because like all the things happened. And um I didn't want to leave him high and dry. <clears throat> so I was like, we're going to train. I was like, we're going to make this work. We're going to train. So we wear baseball gloves and we wear masks the entire time we train. Um, and it's hot and it's uncomfortable, but we take <laughs> care of each other, you know. Um, and we've continued and kept up that training. Unfortunately, his show got canceled, which happened to everybody. Um, but the good thing that happened is that we, we sort of created like a very small group where we can like continue training and just kind of um, and it's, it's so nice. Cause I can be nitpicky and I can be really detailed about their training. Like we go into the history of the blade and like we talk, you, we talk about like different styles. So that's been really nice and very uh, like therapeutic for me in a way, because I, it gets me outside. Other than that, um, I, I volunteer with Black Resilience Fund, uh, which I know you guys have uh, talked about several times on your show. So I think Mm -hmm. that's really awesome. Um, But yeah, I I volunteer with uh, Black Resilience Fund and 
um, there's some online projects that uh, are are coming up and, but it looks like as far as like the world of like stage combat and fights, man, we really took a hit and I really don't know when it's coming back, you know, the good and no, the good part about what's happening right now, you know, with um, this sort of national racial reckoning is a, uh, there was a, a document that was produced uh, or put out called um, uh, the BIPOC demands for white American theater. And it kind of outlines, you know, the racial discri- like disparities in the industry. And a lot of theater companies are really taking a look at, you know, how they hire, what their seasons look like. And that's really exciting. You know, there's a lot of difficult conversations that are happening and, um, it's exciting to think that when we do come back, we can come back to something that's even better than it was before, you know? So uh, a lot of my time right now has been spent um, educating myself. So I've been uh, sort of diving deep in anti-racism and um, uh, just a, I just took a class on uh, transforming your own racial bias classes uh, because I want to be a facilitator. I want to be my work as a stage manager and a fight choreographer has always been around creating safe spaces and protecting people, you know, making sure that they're safe. And so uh, kind of diving into being an EDI facilitator, it just seems right and seems natural for me, you know, um, in 2016, I don't know if you guys, uh, uh, heard about, uh, but there was, um, there was a Chicago theater, Chicago profile theater got, uh, there was this big article that came out because they were doing stage combat on stage that was real. So people were really getting hurt on stage and it was particularly women and it really upset me and, uh, really made me feel quite helpless um, so that year I started offering free training, uh, in stage combat to women. Um, and since then I also started doing a uh, stage combat in the park, which I hope to get started again. Um, and essentially what I would do is I just go to a park and I like put a blast on out on Facebook and say, this is where I'm going to be. And if you want to come and join me, I'll teach you how to fight, you know, because I feel like. Like, uh, you can't tell, but I'm four nine, so I'm petite. And, you know, being a petite woman in this field, as you can imagine, it's just like nobody looks like me and nobody fights like me. And my teachers and mentors, you know, like I said, they, they never, they never held me back. They never, uh, they never let me like sit back, you know, or make excuses. Uh, I remember my very first quarter staff fight, the, my, my partner was so tall. He was so much taller than me. We did a scene from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, it was the <laughs> little John and Robin Hood scene. <laughs> it was like, it was so fun, you know, and he even like picked me up and put me in his armpit. And I was like, oh my God. And it was like super fun. <laughs> uh, but when I was doing that fight, every step that he took, I literally had to take two steps 
and my fight teacher, and he was the nicest guy. Also, he was like the nicest guy. And my fight teacher went up to him and was like, don't hold back on her. And then he came to me and he did, you have to move. And I was like, oh, okay. I have to move. Great. Thank you. You know, and because of that training, I could fight anybody, like anybody. My spatial awareness uh, with my partner was really good. I knew where I needed to be. And also because of that, I, that's, that's the reason why, like, uh, I'm ready to throw a fight away because I'm making a fight for you. And if somebody put a fight upon me and didn't look like me, then I would, I wouldn't be comfortable. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't execute that fight exactly the same way. So therefore I put the same expectations on other people. I change it and make it for you. Um, I went on a rant and I can't remember why. <laughs> You're in good oh, company there. That was, so. yeah, that was an awesome rant though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, so right now, so right now I kind of dug deep into like EDI and accountability and just like, and you know, so the uh, transforming racial bias class that I took was with another, like a group of BIPOC women. And so we all exchanged like information and we're going to continue that work. And I'm so excited for it. But yeah, so it just like, it, it just feels right to continue to dive into work that creates safe spaces that protects people. Um, because I don't know, you know, I don't know when I'm going to choreograph my next slide again, you know, for right. the stage anyway. Well, definitely let us know when you get back to when you start having the the moments in the park also, because I will definitely show up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm like, it's such a bummer. It was so great, you know, and I, I would just go out and like, whoever, whoever came, it was like, we're going to learn, you know. Oh, I remember why I went on the rant. It's because it didn't matter who I was fighting. They couldn't bully me. They couldn't. Like it just it they just couldn't because I knew how a good fight was executed. I would advocate for myself. You know, I'd be like, "That's too like I don't know if it's a choke or whatever." Be like, "That's too tight. You should do it this way instead." And I know instantly how to fix it. And advocate for myself. And so I wanted to pass that training on to other women, especially in the theater world. You know, it's when it especially young women, you know, cause like young artists and like, at least even for me, like I didn't, I didn't want to upset anybody, you know, I didn't want to make any enemies and like wanted to like do, do what I'm told. But when it came to stage combat, you couldn't tell me I was wrong. You just couldn't because I knew what was right. And it was all, it wasn't about ego and it wasn't about like being better than anybody. It was just about knowledge and like, because I was well-trained, because I had the knowledge. And so I was like, this is, this is something that I have that I can do. So I need to pass this on. That's a really, really important skill because like, especially as a woman, especially as like, if you're a small statured person and especially if you're in a male dominated arena, it really never seems to matter how, um, how well educated or how well versed in a situation you might be or in, in the content Someone is always, always a guy is always going to be there to tell you they know more than you. And the reason they get away with it is because girls are supposed to be nice and we'll just step back and let the person 
convince everybody that they know more. And that's probably why our society is such garbage right now. Because a bunch of idiots are like, I know what I'm doing and you don't. So I, I really appreciate that you are working to kind of spread the skill of standing up, standing your ground and, you know, establishing like, I'm an expert in this. So you need to listen to me. Yeah. And like, that's the magic too about stage combat is that the person, usually when you watch stage combat, the person who we call like the volunteer or the receiver of, of the violence or the action is in control. Like when it's done right, that person is driving all of the action. Like it, it, it's one of those like weird things, but like, I loved being the person who died. You know, I loved it. It was like, like, who's going to die in this one? And I was like, pick me, you know? Um, and I would, cause I love to sell it, you know? Um, and it is one of those things where you realize like, Oh, you know, so I was training in the park with one of my friends and he's a guy and we were doing stage combat and we really upset this family and they had to like move away because it's not really great to watch a guy hit a girl when you have kids around <laughs> and you have to be responsible for that, you know? And like, so I like, I recognize when we train in the park, we get people standing and staring at us all the time, you know? And it, it just is like, it does attract that kind of attention, but there's so much power in that there's so much power in the person who is being attacked is actually in control you know is actually in control of that action they are making you look look good or Mm -hmm. terrible or however that you need to look you know (laughs) but yeah that's like that's that's the part that made me so angry is like the this thing that I love and that I really like when I go and I get to teach, you know, um, at the college, at the high school, at the university, and I get those young women and I put swords in their hands and I show them how to fight. It is so empowering. You know, it is so empowering. Uh, before I started fight training, I would have a lot of like running dreams or like fighting dreams where like punches wouldn't land, you know? And then suddenly when I started doing stage combat, I had a context and a reference of like what this could be or what it could look like I started fighting back in my dreams and I was like that's pretty powerful you know I'm not I'm not afraid to like throw hit okay and I don't ever want to be in a real fight like let me be clear like I am very much I'm very much a pacifist and I like I loathe violence but I love stage combat that actually makes a lot of sense almost everyone I know that is one way or another involved in like fighting as part of their career, whether it's stage combat or professionally, they all go out of their way to like avoid fights as often as possible. They're like, no, I don't, I know what it can do. It's not fun. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, Kristen, it was really awesome having you on. Uh, we definitely want to get your contact info later for when you're able to start doing events and stuff mm-hmm. or even even distance uh, small events or whatever. So, Absolutely. I have a swashbuckling class that I think you would be interested in. Ooh. Mm. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. Yeah, Thank is you. There, is there a place people coming can on. follow you? What's your website again? Uh, I have a Wix website, but it's not quite useful right now because I used to use it for, like, park trainings and things like that. 
Um, I'm also on Facebook. And I'm okay. Like, I, I'm on Facebook uh, 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 when I want to be. That's, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know. Uh, but I, my my profile, I think, is public. And I also have, like, a K-Mine uh, Fights page as well. Cool. We'll make sure to list that, that one at mm-hmm. least for sure. Cool. Well, yeah, Kristen, it was awesome talking to you. I'm I'm so glad you popped in the Guardian, and I'm sorry they didn't have the game you wanted, but it worked out for us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so right. much. Have a great night. You too. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks a lot. Stay safe. That was awesome. She is a treat. And looking back at it, her stories now, looking into finding her to interview seems to work with her timeline of how things just happened for her. That is true. (laughs) It's like, huh? She's, yeah. She's got like Domino's mutant power. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. It just kind of works out. It's a hell of a thing. It's a hell of a thing. That's right. Uh, Uh, She seems like a really, really good person. So it could just be karma. That's true. At Norm, sorry we didn't get to your last question there. About... I, I wasn't going to ask that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Norm, Norm, we love you, but we're not going to ask the professional. Every now and then I have to draw the line. <laughs> I, I do want to say I, I pulled up She Kills Monsters, and man, that is a play that I want to watch. Now. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. Uh, drama Comedy by Ki Nguyen uh, came out in uh, 2011. Ah. Yeah. Check that out somehow. Also, talking to her made me think that I want to get like her and uh, Mimi Chen on a podcast together. They could just swap fight coordination stories, right? Yeah, just put them on a Zoom call together <laughs> and just no. watch them. And I was like, okay, you two nerd out for two hours. We'll just sit back and watch. <laughs> and that's exactly what would happen. All right. Yeah. Well, if we have a few minutes left, we do. You guys want to talk about? You know what? Uh, yeah, we can talk about Lower Decks. All right. I do. Oh, apologies. I'm going to be distracted for a second. Uh-oh. Do we need a moment? Good times in downtown again? Um, it sounded like an explosion. But, you know, Yay! I've got headphones on. Right. I'll well, just... for once, I didn't hear it coming through your mic. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, if it helps, it didn't seem all that loud from our end because we didn't hear anything. I mean, eh. it was loud enough to wake up Irma. <laughs> and been Irma, in... and Irma is a little nervous, Nelly. So you know, yeah, she is. she's been in my lap the entire time. Right, like oh, and so Irma's podcasting today. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, um. This seemed like a really good place to take a quick break and give a huge thanks to all of our sponsors. First up, of course, is Bridge City Comics. Find them at 3725 North Mississippi Avenue uh, in North Portland in the Mississippi District. Couldn't be easier. (laughs) You can also find them online at bridgecitycomics.com. They are open again seven days a week to limited hours. I think it's like 11 to 4 uh, you can go in there and pick up your books or place an order for your books. If uh, if you have a subscription box and it's been a little while since you've uh, felt comfortable to go pick it up and you maybe didn't do the curbside pickup, now is a great time 
to go and uh, pick up your subscription box because that's that is money that the stores have already spent. So how about you pick up your books? Uh, and there's also there's a lot of great titles that are out right now. So when you go in there, check out some new stuff. Titles are starting to come out again. Some fun stuff. Some announcements are coming down the pipeline, and you can find out all about it at Bridge City Comics. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland. And when you're there, through your mask, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. Cha-cha transfer to the next spot, which is Guardian Games, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. They are pretty much the best game store in the world. And they are now also apparently good at acquiring guests for us. But, uh, yeah, no matter what kind of game you're looking for, the chances of Guardian Games having it is extremely high. If they don't have it, they can get it for you. If they can't get it for you, it probably means the game doesn't exist yet and you should design it yourself. And then once we're allowed to play in stores again, you can play test it at Guardian Games because they support the gaming community at all levels. Uh, so yeah, they are open for business. The masks are still required. They have, you don't have one, they have a little mask station right up front along with hand sanitizer. Uh, and if you don't, if you refuse to wear the mask, um, the, you, you can't come in the store. Um, yeah. Because everyone knows no matter how healthy you are, you can always roll a one on your constitution save. Anyway, when you are in there, uh, thank them for sponsoring Geek in the City Radio. They have been a longtime sponsor and supporter us for a long, long time. And we wouldn't be here without Guardian Games. And finally, before we get back to the show, just as always, a shout out to Revnat of Revnat's Hard Cider for hooking us up with some distance recording equipment so that we can bring you a quality show every single week. And if you're requiring a quality beverage, well, you have choices. By law, I can't say who, but you can make a guess. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, and with that, you know what? Let's get back to an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. All right. So, really quick, if you, haven't, if you haven't seen Lower Decks, end the show now. Thanks for listening. Talk uh, to you next Ted, week. Screw Ted Wheeler. Uh, resign. Yeah. All those things. All those the things. The usual. But here we go. Uh, yeah, lower decks, man. Uh, so when I mentioned the show to Merrick, I'm like, oh, I've got to watch this new Star Trek show. It starts this Thursday. And she's like, oh, what is it? And it's like, well, it's an animated half hour comedy. And she's like, yeah, I'm I'm going to, I'm going to pass on this one. And then I sat down on Thursday. She's like, I'll watch this first one with you before we, before I go off and go do work. And like, we were laughing our asses off inside of five minutes. <laughs> yeah. And that just stayed that way for the rest of the episode. It is, it is consistently funny. It, yeah. it starts off strong and I, I, I don't feel like it has any like weak, like slumps in the episode. I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, not all the jokes landed for me, but for being like a, for essentially being a season premiere or a pilot, like it landed really well. Mm-hmm. Like it played really well for me. Um, I think the strength of the series is behind the lead character of Ensign Mariner. The the voice actor, Tawny, Tawny Newsom. Yeah. the If that character was not like... Everything about her character says 
comedy, but it also has all of the gravitas of classic Trek characters that we love. Yeah. Well, I want, uh, let's back up a little bit. I, I think part of what makes the show so funny mm-hmm. is it is extremely self-aware. <laughs> yes. You've got the, you've got the Batleth scene. You've got the way, um, Mariner makes, like, talks shit about all of, like, the, the bridge people, essentially, mm-hmm. like, the, the high command the of the crew. ship. Yep. Right. Um, yeah. just, yeah, like, everything she says is basically poking fun at an entire franchise worth of, like, plot holes and just like things that never really made a lot of sense, but it's canon because it's canon. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, she was also, in my opinion, the best part about the um, Netflix series Space Force. Oh, okay. I haven't watched Space Force, so. It's okay. Oh my god, I didn't realize I was the same actress. Yeah, no, she's uh, Captain uh, Captain Angela. I enjoyed Captain that Angela series. Ali's. Way more than I thought I would. Yeah, same here. Once I realized it wasn't all satire, when it was going to be more serious at times, then I then I was able to enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, she's my favorite part of that series. Uh, and this is kind of like a, just a jokier version of that character in a weird way. Mm. Um, and, and I like that, like, if you're not a Trek fan, like, I guess you'll like some of the jokes, but this is definitely an animated comedy made for... Trek fans and some Trek fans just take their shit way too seriously. And like, I, I was one of them for a long time and I was like, why the fuck? Just chill the fuck out. All right. Yeah. And I, I think that's the important growth with in being a fan of this franchise at all is learning to let other people do new things with it that we may or may not like initially and yeah. allowing, you know, Someone's got to take the piss out of it because right. it's it's <laughs> over thirty years old. Older than that, man. Is it? It's pushing sixty. Is it? Oh, I. Oh yeah, talking, you're right. You're right. Oh, I thought I thought I just assumed Cable was talking about like next gen specifically. Oh, well, that's yeah, thirty. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, look, we're always going to have shows like Picard and Discovery that will tackle. Serious stuff, and we'll have serious things, but, um, you know, try to have some fun with it too. It, in a in a weird way, part of me thought of the the, the Lovecraft community, which is a mm-hmm. weird way to get here. Those are also people, as a rule, that take that shit way too seriously. And if you dare do a satire or a parody, you're looked at with like, "How dare you!" Like, mm-hmm. really? Come on, stop it. You have like, if you're not gonna take a long, hard look and analyze your love of Lovecraftian lore <laughs> and go, oh, wait, all of this part is racist and this part is sexist and, like, we can excise yeah. all of that and this is the core of what he was trying to do. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any, any like, license or, uh, work or franchise, anything that is, like, too sacred for me to like not be able to appreciate or allow room for, for a comedy version of it. I wonder if it helped because by your own admission, like you didn't really grow up with this stuff. You're like, you used to say you're a late bloomer geek. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's because you didn't grow up with it, that it wasn't this such important part of your childhood. But there are other things that I've grown up with and I I, I don't, I'm, they are not, you know, verboten from, from being made fun of. Right. 
that's good. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they introduced the characters pretty well. Um, it, I mean, go ahead. No, go, go for it. I'm just, I'm wondering, I mean, we're probably not going to get a lot of like, I'm guessing it's going to be very episodic. There's not going to be a lot of like overriding arcs other than her mother wanting her to be a quote, good Starfleet officer, you know? I don't know that that's true. I hope so. I mean, I, I hope, I, I, I'm with I, Cable because they've already hinted at like some, some stuff that has happened in the past. Right. Which, which, you know, leads one to assume it's going to be brought up again. I, it's fair. The, yeah, they are doing that thing. To me, it felt the, the most like the Orville, except they actually get to tell Star Trek jokes within the show because it's a Star Trek show. Yes. Instead of making, you know, metaphors and, and right. other analogies. Right. It's like they can actually, no, we are Star Trek. We can make the Star Trek jokes. Right. Um, I'm also curious if this show would... Um, I mean, obviously we love it, but like, you know, we were talking about how there was a time where like, it was not going to be okay for a Star Trek fan to watch a, something where they're making fun of Star Trek. If this has something like this had been developed before the Orville had existed, do you think people would receive it the same way? No, I think they'd still receive it the same way that they're receiving it now. Like, I, <laughs> I think the people who would like it and or who do like it would still like it. And I think the, the people who don't like it are still going to sit like there it. with that giant stick up their butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm with Cable. I think they're just... There are people that just feel like... Apart from like your random Trouble with Tribbles mm-hmm. episodes or a few things on DS9, Trek is not allowed to be funny. And... There's, there's, there's going to be no convincing of that people, those folks, I guess. Maybe one day, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, also, the lower decks era uniforms uh, have quickly become one of my favorite looks. That's they're cool looking. They're good uniforms. Like yeah. it, it's a solid design. And I know and that's also Picard flashback era uniforms. Also, yeah, because it takes place ten years before Picard. More oh, does than it? I think a little more than that because there is still Romulus. So I think oh, I lower. I thought they mentioned Picard and some of the crew in the episode. Worf. I think, they talked about Worf. Yeah, I think it's. But all of the Picard though takes place thirty years after TNG. So if you're right. still anywhere in that timeline, oh, I'm sorry, I must have misheard. That, I mean, I don't know if they've given specific dates on it. The one thing they have said is that the events of 2009 Trek have not happened yet. So there is still a Romulus, but it is obviously post-Nemesis. Okay. okay. But that there is still a Romulus. So, uh, And speaking of Romulus, that opening credit sequence, with all the Romulan warbirds shooting at the Borg ship and, the, you know, the, and their ship going... <laughs> Uh, no, you know I just turn around. I rewatched it today, and uh, they do shoot at the board cube once before they turn around and double back. Yeah, for I, whatever I need, that's worth. I need to rewatch the episode again because there was there was so much to take in, and jokes fly fast. Oh man, they do. Yeah, they um, do. Like once it was the the giant spider 
suckling on the other ensign. I, <laughs> I, I missed so many jokes after that. Yeah, that was pretty uh, aside from, fire. Don't stun her, it'll ruin her milk. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> uh, also is, and again, not counting the Kelvin timeline, I think Ensign Tendi is the first on-camera canon Orion serving in Starfleet we've ever seen. Is that right? Yes. I think she is. Yeah. And I've always wanted to see that and don't be like, well, Eric, cause you like them. Like you like the green skin. That's not it. I've always liked the idea that Orions aren't like they're able, if they're able to, you know, get out of their culture, Starfleet, even though they're quote an enemy, Starfleet will take anybody. See, and that was the thing that I looked at and went, okay, this still just raises more questions than it answers. Because I know Kurtzman is involved. Mm-hmm. He's one of the executive producers, which means, like, I automatically feel like we like the green woman. Let's let's make sure to have one of them on the show. But every time you do that, you have that unanswered question of like, but the Orion Syndicate. <laughs> it's like you are, whether you know it or not, you are paving the way for any future Star Trek episode is going to have to have the episode where they start going. So we have a number of Orion officers now. We should probably think about doing something about, you know, this wholesale slavery thing that the Orion syndicate does. I am really curious to see Trek tackle that one day. And boy, is that going to be a bumpy road for them? Because especially TNG gets attacked a lot. For like its its neoliberal tendencies, sure, you know, and rightly so. But it's, like, how how long could a whatever galactic wide organization dedicated to preserving freedom for all sentient life? How long are they gonna like keep looking at the syndicate and being like, you know, yeah, I mean, it's your we're not gonna get involved. But then also like be quasi okay with like the Federation will deal with the Ferengi Alliance. Well, the Ferengi clearly have no problem. They trade with the Orion syndicate because to them, Mm -hmm. it's just, that's your culture, profit loss, whatever. Like how long before Starfleet could be like, or the Federation is like, you know what? We're, you know what? Slavery bad. And we're going to force your hand now. See, and the slave trade or we force. And that's the other thing is we know that the direction that the, the Ferengi were headed at the end of Deep Space Nine was socialism and not, ab, you know, abject true capitalism. They may go, oh, we should probably stop dealing with the Orions. <laughs> yeah. Like, there are so many... Oh, man. Like, if, if Trek has ever wanted a real life... It's like, what do we use as an analogy for the, the Black Lives Matter movement? There you go. <laughs> go tackle the Orion syndicate. Go tackle the Orion slave trade. Yeah. But, but do you guys think that that's going to happen on the animated comedy show? No, I don't. No, no. But I think that is a perfect, like, Picard is a perfect playing ground for that. Strange New Worlds is going to be perfect for, well, maybe not Strange New Worlds because they're still yeah. further back. They're further back and. The, the pike we're going to get in Strange New Worlds is the pike that is a couple years now removed from the cage, but mm. 
I mean, remember in the cage, he's literally talking to the doctor after losing more crew members on the planet saying like, maybe I'm done doing this. Maybe I should become a slave trader with the Orion. Like he flat out says like, maybe that'll be a fun job. Yep. And that's um, not the pike we're going to get now. I mean, clearly I think not. But. Yeah, I think we're going to get a, a little retconning of that. Yeah, um, we are. But Discovery, granted, I, I we're going to actually watch uh, another episode of Season 2. So I'll, we'll be all caught up by the time Season 3 hits. Oh, you haven't watched all Season 2 yet? No. Oh, how far are you? Um... We have just, uh, I think the episode we just watched was The Return to Talos. Okay. Nurse Spock gets his mind back. Right. I was so giddy when I recognized the background, the, the mm-hmm. wind sound effect. I was like, oh, it's the wind sound effect. And, I was like, really? Out of, we, out of everything, that's what got you giddy. <laughs> except it's not the wind. It's the, it's the plants. It's the, it's the plants. That's right. Yep. That sings. When the wind passes through them, yep. Mm-hmm. And she did the whole. She she grabs the leaf and it stops singing and then lets it go again. I'm like, thank you, thank you. She for has doing and that. she has the Spock smile. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do like where the show is going. I know two of the spoilers um, for season two, which I'm not going to say aloud because right. Merrick's in earshot and she doesn't know. <laughs> uh, hi, dog. Um, but like one is an identity thing and the other is where the, where the, uh, season ends. So, right. but like, it's still, there's so much more. I don't know that I'm learning. Like, I'm not quite sure how I feel about confident, no fear Saru. (laughs) Yeah. That's going to come out more. That feels like a recipe for danger. Yes. Uh, it's also, I'm sorry, I'm jumping back to <clears throat> lower decks a little bit. Um, I can already tell I'm going to love Dr. Ta'ana. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're fun. Janky kitty doctor. Yeah, that's right. Here, hold this. <laughs> Don't pass out. Just keep pumping it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, the, the, the cast of characters they've assembled is, it's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Mariner, it's Mariner, Blomler, Tendi, and Rutherford, I think, are our four Lower Decks characters. Yeah, those are our main ones. And then you've got, like, the bridge crew. Um, I do like, it was about, I think it was a day after the episode, uh, the series premiered. Um, uh, Rebecca Romaine, like, got on Twitter and said, yes, I know my husband's also a commander, but I am still the only number one. <laughs> nice. Wait, who is she married to? Uh, she uh, Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. Processing. Talk about the awkward nerdy kid just kind of coming into his own. <laughs> <laughs> what is he on? What does he do? What is um? He was not... he did the sci-fi series Sliders. Oh, yep. I never saw that one. Yeah, I was never going to get a... there. But yeah, on the on lower decks, he's Commander Jack Ransom. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Such a good name for the Jack Ransom. I love how um again, like a lot of the higher ups are like just like total bros. 
mm-hmm. like literally chest bumping and like, yeah, yeah. we're going to go to the bar after work. Woo! <laughs> work hard, play hard. Yeah. I mean, even the captain, she's not like a bro, obviously, but she's still very much a... I mean, she's, you know, she's Starfleet. Uh, it's actually just the way Mariner said where she was like, you know, like the, the bridge crew, like the the higher command, all they really care about, all they ever talk about is, you know, directives and legacies and this and that. And I think that, like, you get a little bit of that from the captain character already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, the, the confusing thing about Mariner is she gives that speech to Bulmer about, like, I know what I'm talking about. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I fought a Yeti in a Klingon prison for my own shoes. And there was no reason he was just being a dick. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and it was that I'm moment always right. I'm like, oh, in five years, she's sitting center seat on the bridge of her own ship. Yeah. Because get- she's 100% captain material. Right. Well, 100%. I mean, I get, they imply that she she's been demoted. Yes. Oh yeah, and At that's why she's once. basically like on parole with her mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so because she has she has the exact attitude as we have seen with Picard, with uh, Cisco, with Janeway, with Archer, with Kirk, both of them. <laughs> um, and, and with with Pike, bunch of cowboys, they are all yeah. of them. They they're all mavericks. Mm-hmm. And their road to the captain's chair was not a straight line ever. Right. It was a huge bumpy road. She <laughs> does actually really give off like really young Kirk vibes. Mm-hmm. That's even the way like Kirk talked about himself a few times in TOS about him being when he was a, a an ensign or a lieutenant, how he was just basically a pain in the ass. <laughs> yep. You know, you know, a gifted pain in the ass, but still a pain in the ass, you know. <laughs> Whereas Bulmer comes across as uh, Lieutenant Barkley only with uh, a stitch more confidence. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Harsh. Yeah. Uh, well, well he does have his secret captain's logs. Yep. Um, but, but again, meanwhile, like her mom, uh, uh, Mariner's mom, you, you can tell that like she makes her decisions based on optics. Yeah. At that point, yeah. But we don't know how she got to the captain's chair either. That's true, but like, she, again, she's not the captain of an enterprise. She's the captain of the Cerritos. You know, <laughs> first in line to be second in line. <laughs> yeah. And also, speaking of the Cerritos, I don't know if this is going to what they're going to do for this show all the time, but I love that this they have actually now they have made the Cerritos that ship design canon. It's one of the many like background kit bash ships that they had to make for like. So basically when they wanted to show wreckage at the end of like best of both worlds or in the background of the Dominion War, they would like, oh, there's a saucer section here. Here's some of the set here. It looks ugly. Yeah, but it's going to be in the back of the screen. Like no one's <laughs> going to see this. Da-da-da. I kind of hope, I kind of hope barring any encounters with like an Excelsior class or, you know, ships we know, I kind of want to see like the... You know, the the stuff that Starfleet shipyards kind of crank out really fast. You know, because like the Sovereign class, that must take a while to build. And the Excelsior, you know, I mean, the Galaxy class, these are all big ships with, take a lot of time. But yep. you know what? We got this generic saucer section that we can just crank out in a week. And, you know, we know how good time-tested nacelles work. Just plug them in, give it a, give it a navigation deflector, and off it goes. <laughs> 
Like, we're not gonna. It's not gonna be any deep space. It's just gonna be, you know, running back and forth. Yep. Just around the block. Sovereign yeah. class. There, it takes two and a half years to build one, and there's only two in the entire fleet. That's Miranda right. class takes six months and an extra week. <laughs> right. For pinstriping, and right. that's why there are fifty-two of them. For pinstriping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why, you know, America's got, you know, maybe half a dozen aircraft carriers, but we got a fuck ton of frigates. Just, just crank them suckers out. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the VW bug. Oh. It's the Honda. No, not that. Don't you make fun so, of I'm like, I, I know. It's just, a weird com- it's just a weird comparison to be making right now. Or it's like a Honda. It's like a Civic. Yes. Like, yes. There you go. That, they don't, that, they that don't really they don't really This is the Honda Civic of Starfleet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Norm said a, a camera, the USS Camry. Right. Oh. That's also good. Like it's also that. good, yeah. Well, I, I for one, am looking forward to more lower decks. Mm-hmm. Me too. Seconded. Um, I'm excited. That just kicks off the first, that it just kicks off 23 weeks of new Star Trek every week. I know. It's pretty awesome. Which um, means Discovery is going to be 13 episodes, we now know for sure. Yes, because this is only ten episodes. Is that going to be the longest season they've done so far? Uh, No, actually. I think that's what they've been averaging is 13, now that I say it. Why was I (laughs) thinking 10 each for the first two seasons? I don't know. I think Picard was 10? Picard was 10 episodes. 10 episodes. Look, I'd rather have, like, a tight 13 than, like, you know, 23 or 26, where, like, only a third of them are really good. Like, I'd Mm -hmm. rather the team focus on creating... You know, ten to thirteen really solid episodes. If that's good, go for that BBC model. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, it's a bummer when it all runs out, but it's it's tight. You're not yeah. you're not like wasting a week on a filler episode that doesn't really add much to the story. Right. I'm fine with it. I mean, if it wasn't for COVID, they'd probably be in pre-production for Strange New Worlds right now. Mm. I mean, eventually, yeah. assuming we don't all fucking die. Like, there will eventually become a time where there will always be some kind of Trek in production and on the air. And I would be so happy. So, yeah, that's, that's that, going to be a strange feeling, right? That hasn't mm. happened since the 80s. 80s? 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. TNG, yeah, because we went from DSS TNG nine, to Voyager. But, to Voyager so, yeah, when was the overlap between TNG... Voyager and DS9. <clears throat> so uh, TNG and Voyager never overlapped. So, oh, I'm sorry, TS9. But DS9 overlapped both. Yeah, yeah DS, that's, that's what. I yeah, mean. DS9 never got to stand on its own ever. DS9 started in the fourth year of TNG. Yeah, because the whole point was to have Cisco and Picard in the same room. Picard goes, "It's a pleasure to meet you," and Cisco goes, uh, "We met once, Wolf Three Five Nine. You killed my wife. Fuck you." <laughs> I mean, he didn't quite, yes, he didn't quite mean it that way. 1993. Yeah, he yeah. did. <laughs> I think Cisco's better than that. I think Cisco understood that Picard was not in control of his functions. I don't believe that that's true for for season one, Cisco. He 100% I, meant, fuck you, Picard. You can be objective about a lot of things, but if you're, you know, if you're still sensitive, which Cisco was for a number of years, about the death of your wife. He meant it. He meant what he said. I think season three and beyond Cisco had made peace with it. But season one, 
he was still angry. Eh, I'll rewatch. By the time he gets to the like, I can live with it moment, then then we'll talk. Oh shit, that's season six. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, This is tangentially related to Star Trek. At some point, I think we're all going to have to watch the movie Unbelievable and report back. Keep talking. What's that one? Look it up on IMDb. It is Snoop Dogg and the cast of every Star Trek ever. Is it a miniseries? Oh, Um, no. I'm sorry. That's a different... It's unbelievable with five exclamation points. (laughs) What the shit is that? Wait, is it dolls? I'm not finding it. Just one doll. Snoop Dogg? Unbelievable. 2018 film. I think I did hear. Yeah, this does have everything. This is 2020. Yeah, it's Jarrett Wong, Chase Masterson, Tim Russ, Michelle Nichols, Robert Ricardo, Marina Sirtis, Michael Dorn, Nana Visitor, Walter Koenig, Linda Park, Connor Trenier. It goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> it is nuts. But it's not a. It has nothing to do with Trek. No. It but looks like it, it, it looks like a Team America. Just that's just the one character, right? Just that one, just that one puppet. Yeah, that puppet is Captain Kirk Smallwood. Still would. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I. Don't My mind this. is a little bit blown right now. Yep. Yeah, I think it's. It he is. must have loved that because he is such a big Trek nerd. Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has a four point as it's rating. Or, eh, whatever. Um, which means it is hot garbage, but oh man, it's going to be fun hot garbage. <laughs> oh yeah, we should there. put that on our to-do list. Check it out. <laughs> and then something else we are going to do, because I know we talked about it off the air. Eventually we'll do this. we got to figure out how. Is I'm going to run that uh, Kobayashi Maru adventure on the, on the show live. Oh yes! But that's where we're going to need listeners to help out. We'll have like a raffle or some shit. Well, we should probably mm-hmm. plan the particulars of that out. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about details on the air because we're going to get nothing like, I want to play! <laughs> Although yep. it's okay to get interest early on. That's true. Well, should we wrap up the show this week? I think uh, so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, again, huge thanks to uh, Kristen Mum. Mun Mun. Mun Mun. Mun Mun. That's fascinating that she knows your cousin. What a I small mean, the, moment, world. the moment she mentioned that she had done fight court when I was, that's why I was like, what years? Because yeah. Cause he's been there. God, I think he started in like 2000 and he had to take a few years off for a medical issue, but mm-hmm. he's still down there. Mm. I mean, I don't know what he's doing right now. Cause there's nothing going on, but yeah. And she seemed young. I couldn't get a, like, not that it was important, but I was just trying to like get a, get a line on her age and I'm guessing she's like younger than you guy or no, no that's wrong I think she's younger than me by not by a lot but she's, yeah. had, a, she's had a busy career in a based on seemingly short amount of time yeah I, I think she would she's probably in her third early 30s at at the oldest mm-hmm. well she was awesome yep yes uh, next week we might have another guest uh, we just say it. I'm going to ask Greg if he can pop on again next week. 
Right. Because we did kind of talk about him just being monthly from now on instead of just like, whatever you want. We're like, we're just going to tell him. Right. I think the, I think the key thing is like, we have to like give him a date. Right. So. Uh, I know we were going to ask him, I think last time we said, hey, next time you come on, you can tell us how you would fix the DC comics. But that seems like a really cruel question to ask right now. That does. <laughs> That's. So all right, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Jeez. Yeah, that one's a downer. This is what happens when you work in an industry where you love what you do, but it's owned by people that have no idea what you do. Mm-hmm. Or care. Or care. Yeah, they just they just see IP farms. Anyway, I don't want to end it on a downer like that, so let's just end it on a, it was a good show. Thanks, Kristen. Yay! <laughs> uh, I'm going to go bottle mead tonight now. Cool. Yeah. I'm going to go watch the Skeffers. Nice. Oh, nice. I should rewatch season two just for the hell of it again. I think I'm going to before the next one starts. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Vinarita. I'm Cable Hashtani. We will speak to everybody next week. Ted Wheeler, you must resign. <laughs>